I'm starting with a quote from John Steinbeck that says, and now that you don't have to be perfect, you can be good. Um, and I think that that kind of sums up my recovery. Most days I feel good, um, which is not something I could have said 18 months ago, almost to the day um, I walked into my first meeting. So my recovery, I would say, is on the new side, but today it feels really strong and I'm so grateful. So um, so yeah, I'm also really flattered to be speaking on a night with some big anniversaries in the house. Um, thank you guys for sharing and keeping me abstinent with your good news. So let's see. I guess before, I think a lot of people can relate to just knowing at a deep level early on that you had a problem with food. Like I remember um, hiding food in my house as a kid um, in my room and eating food in secret at a very young age. And I also remember anecdotally our family friends mentioned they're, they're a giant family, like seven kids maybe. And they said that they were shocked. The mom was shocked that their whole family ate a pound of pasta with dinner. And I had a family of four and we did that all the time. So I was like, oh, that didn't know that was weird. Also at a really young age, I sort of developed a pretty, pretty serious anxiety. Uh, in eighth grade, a girl on my basketball team told everybody, including these, this boy that I had a crush on that I was ugly. And it was a watershed moment for me that just because that became a fact, you know, it was like insecurities that I had about myself were never validated by anybody. And then they were. So that really, my anxiety and fear is what drove a lot of my compulsive behavior. You know, that fact really latched on to me in a way that nothing else had. And, you know, I remember it as clearly now, you know, 20 plus years ago or years from 20 plus years ago that, you know, it feels like it could have been yesterday. Um, so really that's kind of when I really started eating to like numb the pain. And I attached so much self-worth to my appearance or lack of it that um, I was just, you know, really self-soothing with food. And to be blunt, I eat because I'm anxious and I have um, a pretty serious anxiety disorder that is on the OCD spectrum. Um, and so my compulsions are not ritualistic with, you know, the kind of stereotypical things that you would associate with OCD, but, you know, my anxiety coming from these intrusive thoughts and obsessions turns into compulsive behaviors around food. You know, my, in my um, actual behaviors, I'm more of an all day grazer than a eventful binger. Once I started eating and started eating in the morning, I didn't stop until I went to bed. There was like no such thing as like hunger or mealtime or whatever. It was just sort of this all day situation. And I think too, when I was in high school and college, I sort of started to come into my own and develop who I was as a person. And that was all really framed around my size. I was always the fat friend. Um, and I just kind of decided to lean into that outwardly instead of, you know, dealing with the root cause of everything. And that just caused me so much more pain and sadness. You know, maybe some of you can relate to like having crushes on, on boys and just feeling like, you know, what the hell is the point? Like, these guys aren't looking at me, nothing matters. Like, I'm just going to keep eating. You know, it was, it just became so much a part of me that I almost started to like, I almost started to accept it. And I definitely accepted it outwardly. But yeah, there was just so much inner turmoil. I always knew I had a problem with food. It just felt like something I was just like, I, I always say like bursting to tell a therapist, like, I'm here because I'm anxious, but I also have a problem with food, you know, and I had said that 
to healthcare professionals before who recommended diets or, you know, told me to pick up different hobbies instead of eating and, um, you know, not really giving me any sort of basis for recovery, really. This is also a time when, like, you know, binge eating disorder wasn't even defined as something that you could have. So, you know, there was a lot of just like, well, you know, just stop. Or I remember my mom saying, like, you're going to just have to learn to love salad, you know, and I'm like, what the hell does that even mean? So also apologies, I'm probably going to swear a lot as we keep going through this. But um, yeah, the eating in secret really started to ramp up after I got married. Um, I had, again, like my anxiety was really why would anyone marry her if they really you know loved her and so that really kicked on my anxiety which kicked on my eating and um, my husband also travels a lot for work and my days without him are were often centered around like what I was going to eat when I was going to eat and early on in my recovery my husband used to remark that I don't go to Target as much as I used to which confused me until I remembered that like me going to Target was like a secret code for um, going to eat in my car in secret and just like, you know, getting a bunch of fast food. So once I found a therapist that kind of helped me realize what was going on and wanted me to face my eating head on, I then all of a sudden like became resistant to being defined by this, you know, label of an addict, but really, you know, a lot of hard work and big questions led me to realize that like this disease had been defining me my whole life, regardless of what label I slapped on it or didn't or whatever. Like I was already defined by this disease because it was like holding me back and giving me no sense of self-worth. Like I can't even stress that enough. Just feeling like what the hell is the point? I definitely looked to like putting my worth elsewhere, you know, into my jobs, into my friendships, into my relationships with friends, into, um, you know, community service, that kind of thing, just trying to be this like straight A student. And early on in my recovery, I described my eating as a cavity, like, cause if you were to look at my mouth, I have this like nice smile. Um, and then in the back, there's just this, that you can't see, there's just this like rotting cavity of this obsession with food. And so, it really took a lot of, I guess, blind faith. And I, I will admit that like when I was on my pink cloud, when I first started, I was definitely acting in fear. My first food plan that I was on with my therapist really helped me like get sober with food for lack of a better term. You know, it was very strict and regimented and really helped me over those first six months to like detach from food completely, which was a feeling that I'd never experienced. And I hope to God, if I ever have to experience it again, that I will be willing to do it because it was, you know, it was hard, um, to put the food down and to say like, okay, this has to be over here now. This is just as normal as drinking water. Like it means nothing more or less to me, the food. It doesn't, I can't go to it when I need it. Um, only when I'm actually hungry, you know, I realized through that process, like once I got a sponsor, that a fear of like messing up or being imperfect in my food plan was kind of holding me back from really accepting my disease. I was really treating it like a diet and I was continuing to act out of fear, you know, being afraid of the imperfections that would come in if I were to deviate from this food plan or whatever, but really leaning into that first step and, you know, doing the trust fall back into it helped me 
figure out, you know, why I was here. And others have said that I truly believe that step one's the only step you have to do perfectly. Um, and so in that admission of like, okay, like I really am powerless and this food plan doesn't define me anything any more than, you know, my other, my older actions defined me. So yeah, once I accepted the possibility of doing this imperfectly, it helped me kind of deepen my understanding of myself and of the program and the promises. Um, you know, I really had to be, as I like to say, strong enough to admit that I'm weak. Um, because this is a disease that just continues to say like, oh yeah, you go ahead, you know, you go ahead and recover. I'll be right here when you get back. And that honestly fucking terrifies me. And it's only through like, um, you know, a deepening relationship with God that I can say like, yeah, you wait there, you know, I'll see you when I see you, but you know, probably see you never. Like, I just don't, it's hard to it's hard to say that it was, you know, like, I know that for today I'm abstinent and that is what is all that really matters. And then I actually just finished working my steps for the first time. It took me a long, a long time, about 14 months, which was like a perfect pace for me. I, my sponsor has encouraged me from day one to, you know, think as deeply as I'm capable of and to really accept that there is no such thing as being perfect and to strive to be the best version of myself for the day and to just accept the constant work. You know, I, I tend to just be like the kind of person that I say this a lot, but I like to read the Ikea instructions all the way through before I start building the dresser. Like I want to know where I start and where I end. And like, I think that the perfectionism really plays into that. And so knowing that, you know what, this dresser is never going to be built. And sometimes you're going to put the drawers on backwards or whatever, but you're showing up and you're trying. So that to me is, is huge. You know, like I really do understand what people mean when they say that this work is never done. And to be honest, like, I'm very grateful that the work is never done because my future feels limitless now. Whereas before it just felt like an inevitability that I would stumble into and probably fuck up. Um, now I have a bit of faith in, in the positivity and like I said, like the limitlessness of like my life and my relationships and my professional career and, you know, recovery, truly. This program really helps me live like more, much more fully than I was before. You know, I was definitely distracting myself with obligations and arguments and drama at work and everything else. And it just lets me be more present in my marriage and work and relationships, just all of it. You know, I'm able to say like, okay, I, I fucked up. Like I'm going to take an L on this thing that I did and I'm going to come correct and be, you know, better at least as best that I can be. You know, I think that too, a big part of huge part of my recovery has been doing the work to like really forgive my parents for what they didn't give me growing up and kind of learn how to have the program help me find it through God and through others and through the work that I've been doing to really say like, you know, kind of be my own parent and do that child work that is so important of like baby Rachel needing, needing more than she was given emotionally. You know, I've mentioned before, like my dad um, is a compulsive overeater and he would never define himself as such. But, you know, I resented him for a long time for like giving me this disease and 
um, I'm finally moving towards a place of um, being grateful for having this disease. I'm not really there yet, but I just keep praying that I will someday be grateful for, <laughs> for this disease. And, um, you know, it feels more possible now than it did when I started that little project. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And yeah, I just want to say, I know we have a couple newcomers here and I myself still feel like a newcomer because I know there's a lot of longevity and deep recovery in this meeting. And I just want to say that, you know, I'm just so grateful that everybody's here and everybody shows up in their own way. You know, the part in the beginning where it says, whatever problem you have with food, you're welcome here has kept me coming back every week for 18 months. And I hope to God it keeps me coming back until I die because I certainly need it. Thanks.